Hello, friends, and welcome to HC Weekly. This is a podcast proclaiming the love of God on display through Jesus Christ. We're so glad you're with us, and I need to tell you, we've been expecting you. We encourage you to tune in for an important announcement at the end. And now it's time for today's message. We hope you enjoy. I want to talk to you today about a practical approach to spiritual growth. A practical approach to spiritual growth. In 2 Peter 1.5, the Apostle Peter advises believers about adding virtue to faith. We touched on that just ever so slightly last week. The word virtue in the Greek is really an interesting word. You know, you could tell somebody, you need to add virtue to your faith today, and they're looking at you like a, you know, dog with his head cocked, like, what? What is virtue? What are you talking about? But virtue is a really interesting word in the Greek because it actually means, believe it or not, manliness in the sense of being coupled. With, it's, it's manliness with valor coupled with excellence. Manliness in the sense of valor coupled with excellence. In modern terms, I guess you could say it's the equivalent of saying, man up. Or for you ladies, pull up your big girl pants. Now speaking of valor, manning up, the Holy Spirit brought my attention to this really interesting scripture. Don't you love it? When he leads you into places in the word that you'd never go on your own. <laughs> so he led me into Judges 11 verse 1. And it says in that verse of scripture, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. There's different ways you can read that. You could read that this way. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was a son of a harlot. Or you can read it. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, but he was a son of a harlot. See the difference? Jephthah was a man of action. He was also the son of a harlot. But he did not let that hold him back. That's the point. The Holy Spirit is not putting in the phrase, but he was the son of a harlot, to discredit the mighty man of valor. He put it in there to show that you can come from the lowest of what's perceived in society to be the lowest and be a mighty man of valor. You, You follow what I'm saying? I love how 2 Peter 1.5 applies a confidence that is empowered to act. That, friends, is virtue. He, he, he applies that as an indicator of spiritual growth. See, virtue is the confidence to be and to do. Virtue is the confidence to be and to do. Maybe I need to say it one more time. Virtue is the confidence to be 
and to do. It takes you beyond just the claim of being something into the activity of the very thing itself. But there's more than just one type of confidence to walk in. See, it can help you to discern which type of confidence is consistent with spiritual growth and where you get it from. So first, I want to start with two examples of what type of confidence isn't consistent with spiritual growth. Sometimes it helps to see what isn't, right? The first one is a presumptuous performance or method-based confidence. And by the way, that's where we get much of our self-help stuff from. It's a presumptuous performance or method-based confidence. There's an interesting story in Scripture that demonstrates this for us in the Bible. It comes out of chapter 19 of Acts. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you may. We'll read verses 11 through 17. But here in this passage in Acts, it's really, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a serious, real-life story, but at the same time, it's kind of funny. Because it shows you the futility of the wrong self-confidence. Are you ready? Verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out from them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Jesus even takes the stupidity of somebody's own self-confidence and turns it into his own glorification. Right? But what you see here is their confidence. Think about it. The sons of Sceva were confident they could use the name and do the same. Their confidence was in a method. A method. They were thinking naturally. And they assumed they could employ a method just as well as Paul could. People that really have something, when they, when they act in it, they make it look so effortless. Everybody thinks they can do it. It's the truth. Because they think that it's just, it's just a method. You know, anybody can learn a method. But see, what Paul was walking in was, had nothing to do with a method. It was a, it was a person. He had relationship with the Lord Jesus. And he knew where his authority came from. He was surrendered to the authority of Christ and therefore moved in the authority of Christ. And thus we see these things happening. But the sons of Sceva didn't interpret it that way. They interpreted it from the standpoint of seeing a method 
to accomplish something that would make them famous, perhaps, or well-known in the province. Now, the second wrong kind of confidence I've entitled self-confidence. Both of these are a type of that, but I want to deal a little bit more with just a direct self-confidence that's not necessarily rooted in a method. It's more rooted in what I am capable of. There's a story of how a young man was given an opportunity to speak at a church. And when it was time, he walked right up to the podium full of confidence. He thought to himself, I have just what these people need and they'll all come forward once I'm done. He opened his Bible. He began his message confidently. He gave an altar call thinking the whole church would likely come forward, but not even one person responded. Feeling like a failure, he took his Bible in his hands and he headed, he, his, put his head down, avoiding eye contact with anybody, and he went to his seat and sat down, head bowed. After the service was dismissed, an old woman came up to him and she said, Young man, if you'd have gone up the way you came down, you'd have come down the way you went up. He was confident in his own ability. See, if you listen to, for instance, people that move in a gift area and they do it effortlessly out of relationship with Jesus Christ, submitted to the Holy Spirit so that it looks like it's just effortless, you can imagine you could do that too. But if you are not tapping into the depth of relationship that is yours, made possible through Jesus Christ, you're going to stumble and fumble and bumble and all kinds of stuff. You may be even trying to move in something the Holy Spirit hadn't told you is yours to move in. You're making assumptions. And you're making these assumptions based on self-confidence. And it's not very beneficial. Self-confidence can serve in natural areas when it's healthy. But it isn't what helps us grow spiritually. Now, we've looked at two examples of a wrong confidence for growing spiritually. So what would a right kind be? What would that be? Well, being secure in the promise of Scripture that says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us is a good thing. Confidence born from that kind of belief is not confidence in self, but it's confidence in another. And that's, that's a positive thing. But it's not everything, right? Paul, the apostle in the Bible, stated it this way. And listen carefully to what Paul said. I would rather boast in my weaknesses, for when I am weak, Jesus is made strong in me. Jesus is not more evident in your cockiness. Nor is he more evident in your timidity. So it's neither cockiness nor sheepish behavior. Somewhere between there is a quiet confidence in who God says I am and what God's given me to do. There's something different about that. See, that name that, that, that Paul used, it wasn't in himself he was using it. It was in confidence of the one whose name it was, who he had come to know that he was using that name. Paul talking about weakness is his way of saying that what he accomplishes 
that's of real benefit is really due to Christ living in him and not he himself. Remember, it was Paul who said, uh, you know, I, of all people who have reason to boast, I have a reason. <laughs> you know, I, I was born a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin, you know, studied under the premier teacher. You know, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees as touching the law, blameless, circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, he's just going on and on. And on. He said, man, I could brag. I could brag about this Jewish stuff. I could brag about spirituality from the Jewish perspective. I could brag about my 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 general my genealogy. I, man, I got some stuff I could boast about. But then he said, but you know what? I consider all that like a pile of manure compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Paul's confidence was in the Lord Jesus, not Paul himself or anything he had done in the natural to get somewhere. Paul wasn't worried about titles, accolades of men, any of that stuff. If he had been, he'd have quit early in his ministry. Paul probably suffered maybe more than most as far as the disappointments would go and the hardships and the difficulties and the hindrances that go with trying to advance the kingdom of God in the earth through preaching the gospel. Paul experienced a whole lot and suffered a great deal. When it comes to spiritual growth, real spiritual growth exhibits a growing confidence in Christ Jesus and his completed work. And the commitment that keeps you going, that keeps you persevering, that gives you the strength to endure the hardship, the hindrance, the obstacles, the oppositions, is your connection in relationship to Jesus Christ and your staunch, solid belief that Jesus paid it all. I would even go as far as to say authentic spiritual maturity is really on display in your ability to hear Jesus and submit to his voice. And with that in mind, let's consider our last passage for today. Hebrews 1. I do encourage you to turn there. It's one of my favorite passages. It's just a beautiful passage concerning the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And I can't ever read this too much. Every time I read it, I get excited all over again. Listen carefully to what it says here in this beautiful passage of Scripture. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty 
on high. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I love this because these are four verses of exaltation. Magnifying the person, the position, and the promise of Jesus Christ. Jesus is who God has spoken through in these last days. God has not called his people to be reliant in the same sense upon the prophets as they were under the old covenant when it was too tough for the people to know what God was saying because they had dissed that idea at Mount Sinai under Moses. Remember, God said, tell the people to draw near to me. And they said, no way, man. Uh-uh, uh-uh, lest we die. You go and be a mediator for us. And whatever God tells you, here was, here's the self-confidence that's wrong. Whatever, whatever God tells you to tell us to do, we will do it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you, know? you don't understand the standard of righteousness, folks. If you did, you would not make such a bold claim. So there they are. They, they rejected that call to come and, 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 and just be able to hear God for themselves. And here they are. They're relegated and praise God that he does it out of his mercy. He, he finds a way to still have voice with his people. And he speaks through the prophets prolifically. That's what we discover. But then we, in history we come to a time where the prophets go completely silent. 400 years. Total silence. Until the voice of the prophet rings out again through John the Baptist at the dawning of the appearing of the Messiah. So we hear the voice of the prophet ring loud. And what is his voice saying? There's coming one whose sandal lashes I'm not worthy to untie. He'll be the Lamb of God. He's the one. prophetic voice comes back, points to Jesus, and all of a sudden we're introduced to the voice of the Son of God on the scene, speaking. And he's still speaking today. To as many as will draw near to him to listen, he's still speaking today. Now the prophetic ministry under the new covenant is more of an affirming, encouraging type of prophetic ministry than it is anything it will still engage in some foretelling but not quite like what the old covenant was under the new covenant what we find is it's more of a, of a prophetic voice pointing you to the son constantly pointing you to the son I, I love the way John the Baptist did it he's, he's there with his disciples and he screams out, it's Jesus, he sees Jesus, and he says, there goes the Lamb of God. And some of his disciples leave him, and he's okay with it. <laughs> he's totally okay with the fact that they would give up being with him to go be with Jesus. Today, there's a few things going on that's a little twisted and warped that should give us a little key of discernment 
is when men want you to be so endeared to them, more so perhaps than even to Jesus. Listen to, I mean, they're out out there saying, listen to me. Hear the prophets and prosper. Well, that's, that's a true statement in a proper context with some integrity. But if I'm using it to just try to get you to pay attention only to what I say, me, that's a misuse of it. That's a misuse. And a lot of that's been happening in these modern times. But the true prophetic voice is trying to say to us, look to Jesus. Open your ears to hear his voice. As a young teenage boy, I was really into cars. My friends and I like to think we knew a whole lot about them. I worked on mine and theirs often. And I did seem to possess a little more knowledge than most of my friends. So you can just imagine how cocky I was about cars. But I encountered a situation that took me in over my head one day. I needed to rebuild the transmission in my 1971 Plymouth GTX. You can have a high horsepower motor up under the hood, but if the transmission won't make it go forward, you're just wasting your time, right? So I knew this old guy who had retired from Chrysler as a line mechanic, and he specialized in transmissions. And and he offered to help me do it if I would just buy the kit, the rebuild kit. So there we were in a shop, car on the lift, transmission out, swapping stories as we worked on my, uh, uh, on, on my car. And I, and I was trying to do my best to impress this old guy the whole time with what I knew about cars. Then the moment came. We had just disassembled the clutch pack. And the old man said, open up the kit. And he began putting the various clutch plates into the housing when I asked, uh, shouldn't that plate go in front of a, uh, is that out of order? And he looks up and very sternly looks at me. <laughs> and he, that's, you know, he cut me off is what he did. And he said, if you suggest one more time what I ought to do, I'll just go home and leave you with this. To put back together yourself. And he said, are we clear? My self-confidence took a blow in that moment, but I knew what was at stake. I needed my car to come off that lift and go in reverse and forward. You know what I'm saying? So I looked at him and I just said, yes, sir. I'm shutting up. (laughs) So he packed the clutch assembly. We put it all back in put the transmission back up, buttoned up all the lines, bolted everything, torqued it, got it all set, put the drive shaft on, the whole bit, dropped it down off the lift, fired that puppy up, and man, would she just light the tires up. It's not good for a teenage boy to be able to do that. You spend a couple paychecks replacing tires every so often. But, but the job got done. But see, it couldn't be done. I could not have achieve that and be able to say I even had a hand in it if I had not a shut up 
and listened. I had to shut up and listen. Spiritual maturity is not just about where your confidence comes from. Yourself or some other source. You need to know you have a good source to get it from so you can trust what you are told and then learn how to listen. That's the reason for our Hebrews passage regarding Jesus. His voice is greater than that of the prophets of old. He doesn't invalidate them by any means. But he has become the focal point, and he has spoken. His speaking in Hebrews 1 is emphasized. I hope you notice that. It's emphasized. Are you, listen, are you listening to what he has said? Are you listening to what Jesus has spoken? See, to gain the confidence you'll need to grow, you need to listen to the one who matters most, and you need to act on the wisdom he's offering you. You can't grow in what you do not know, and you cannot know if you don't take the time to really listen. The last day's generation, one of the key characteristics of the last day's generation is that they have itching ears. All that, all that is a picture of, it's not that they're going around scratching like this all the time, right? That's a picture of running to and fro to many voices looking for what you like. And some people have found a way to super spiritualize this practice. They, they haven't favorited just one prophetic page. They've, they've got 30. And they just go through them until they find the one they like, and then that's God's word to me, you know. Why don't you get alone with the Lord and let him have opportunity to speak to you himself? You know, a prophet could come and say something to Neil about the destiny of his ministry. And I could be sitting there and I could be thinking, man, that's great. I'll take that for myself. It doesn't work that way. You know? Especially if the Lord hadn't been showing me that that's inherent with my own calling, you know? You, you follow what I'm saying? But people are doing this all the time. And I see it all the time in the body of Christ. They even teach on, hey, somebody next to you gets a great work, call it yours. I wish it really worked that way. You know what I'm saying? But it doesn't. Because, see, you are individually unique before God. You need to know what Jesus says about you. You need to know the wonderful things that Jesus thinks about you. And what he says you're able to do if you'll just trust him. And yield to him. It's really amazing. I, I, I want to try something out here because what we're talking about is faith, right? Faith that, that goes further into trust because you're getting to know the one that you have faith in. See, you develop toward trust when you get to know the character of the one you have faith in at this beginning point of your journey. 
So we grow in our trust the more we get to know. The more you get to know, the more you grow, your trust increases, and you find out that not according to your own strength, what is it, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So you begin to discover that you're capable of far more than you have limited yourself with according to your own abilities, talents, and strengths. There's a lot more available to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. But if you're going to tap into that, your faith has to lead you into discovery of who he is and an ever-increasing development of hearing his voice so that you can more deeply trust him. We're talking about here's relationship. We're not talking about religion. We're not talking about methods. We're not talking about programs. We're not talking about getting everything that you get from somebody else. We're talking about Jesus Christ made something possible for you in this life to where you, by yourself, can go into your closet, spend time alone with God yourself, hear the voice of Jesus speaking to you. He can tell you who he knows you to be because he made you. He can tell you what he has for you to do in this life because he's planned it out already. And then he can encourage you by the Holy Spirit to believe that you have what it takes to get it done because he wouldn't put it in your life as part of your purpose if he wasn't going to empower you to do it. And so see your faith, boom, your faith which drew you to him, right, as you get to know him more and more, and this is why every disciple ought to invest their energy and their time in discovering who God is and not simply going into the Word of God looking for some new method. Discover Jesus. Discover the person of Christ. Look at the completed work. Get your confidence strengthened. And what he's done. And let that give you boldness and courage to go forth in his name. Right? And do what he says is yours to do. You believe that? Do you know what he has spoken concerning you? It's important. Because what he says will give you the right confidence by which you grow spiritually. You'll be able by the Spirit to take action. That's virtue. You'll be adding virtue to your faith. You'll learn even more about him and his ways as, as you take action in faith. You know the Hebraic way uh, of, of learning was not knowledge first. It was not this and then this. It was you go do what you heard and you will learn in the process as you go do. One of the more significant aspects of your learning was in the doing. You've got to be careful because there's a generation in the last days, they're ever hearing, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They're hearers only, but they're not doers of the word. Now, that's not a scripture given to condemn us and try to pressure us to do things that somebody else suggests we ought to do. That's just a, that's a way of knowing and discerning what is going on in our own lives. Am I hearing boatloads of amazing revelation concerning Christ and it's doing nothing to produce fruit in my life? Then I'm a hearer only. I'm not a doer. 
Because if I were doing something with what I was hearing, it would be producing abundant life fruit in my life. Is this making sense? Verbal instruction alone cannot create spiritual growth. Look at the church in America. It is the most educated church in the world. And yet the deadest. It's why we pray for an awakening to come. Because we need revelation desperately. The kind of revelation that activates activity through faith in our life. The kind of revelation that enables us and empowers us to add virtue, add action to the faith we've received. Until you apply what you have heard, you're just a hearer only. Just hearing can, can, it can be detrimental, saints. It can feed your pride. Look at how many in the church are just arrogant about what they think they know. But they don't have any fruit for the kingdom of God. The, the big deal in heaven is not when you get to, oh, I was an expert in deliverance. How many people did you deliver? None. But I studied every book on deliverance. I understood every method. How many did you help get free? None. Well, then shut up and get to the back of the line. You know what I'm saying? People have a lot of suggestions. They want, we should do this for the hungry. How many hungry have you helped? Well, none. Well, then why are you suggesting to us at the leadership of the church that we ought to do this, this, and what? You go do something. Get, it, get the gears cranking. Obviously, the burden's in your heart. Get some gears cranking. Go out, I mean, go out and find somebody on the side of the street if you have to. Give them $5 or take them for a meal or whatever it is you think you need to do. You start doing that. Do that for a little period of time. And let's sit down and talk again. Let's talk some more. And let's see what the Holy Spirit has cultivated as a vision in your heart about this after you've been doing it on your own for a little while. Because see, if it was just your own human compassion, you do it for a little while, you're gone, you're done, I'm out. I'm and you'll not come sit down with us again to discuss that. It'll be another thing. See, virtue is adding that action to your faith. It completes the circuit. Have confidence in who Jesus says you can be and do. Have confidence. And this is your practical approach to growing spiritually. It's the most tried and true thing that I can find in Scripture that evidences true spiritual maturity. It's the ability to hear the truth, get revelation of it from the Holy Spirit, and enact on what you've got revelation of. What a great Amen. encouragement from the Lord. Hello again. We want to invite you to subscribe to this ministry. We would love to hear from you. Contact us at our website, www.harvestchurchknoxville.com. Click on the Connect button and leave us a message. We'll respond to you just as soon as we can. You can also interact with us on Facebook at Harvest Church. Our request is that you pray for us 
and also pray about financially supporting this ministry so it can continue to go out. No gift is too small. If you have a local church, please don't neglect it in your giving whenever giving to this ministry. There's three easy ways to give and all our giving options are secure. Your first option is at our website, again, www.harvestchurchknoxville.com. Click on the Give button and follow the steps. Your second option is via text. Send a text to 865-366-4993 with the amount that you wish to give in the message section. Your third option is via snail mail. Send it to Harvest Church, 6720 Kern Road, that's K-E-R-N, Knoxville, Tennessee, 37918. If you are in the Knoxville, Tennessee area and you don't have a church home, we invite you to come and be with us. We'd love to see you. Again, thank you for listening. Our prayer for you is that you grow in your knowledge of Christ Jesus and experience great increase of grace and peace. Remember, Jesus really loves you.